<clears throat> What's going on everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of Geek Syndrome This is Matt of course uh, What is going on It's been about I think two weeks since I No 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 it's been a week I didn't record anything last week uh, But I recorded something this week uh, the reason why I was absent last week was because I am currently studying for my Network Plus certificate, and I'm kind of in like the final phase of it, so I'm just cramming a lot of information. So I spent last week, uh, I didn't play any video games, I didn't watch TV, really. Well, no, it's all, well, yeah, two weeks, really. It's been two weeks, two weeks in totality. So I haven't been really watching TV. Uh, I haven't been playing any video games. I still haven't bought the new Cyberpunk DLC. I still haven't bought Baldur's Gate 3, which are games I should actually own to be playing right now. Uh, Because I really want to play those before the new uh, Yakuza games come out. But that looks like that's going to be a pipe dream. Uh, But... Yeah, I just got been focusing on my grinds and focusing on my goals. Because that's what you have to do in this life to be successful. And gosh, I left a little gap in content because I haven't reviewed the greatest NXT NXT of all time. I didn't review Tuesday Night Dynamite. I didn't review Fastlane. I don't think I reviewed the last AEW pay-per-view either. So uh, I've been pretty busy, but dudes, hey, ladies and gentlemen, just remember, if you are striving for something in your, in your life, sometimes things are going to fall by the wayside, and that sucks, because I really wanted to sit down, review those things, and, uh, you know, talk about them, but with that being said, this previous Friday, my wife went out of town, uh, she went out of town, and I found myself with absolutely nothing to do, because I said Friday, I was actually going to take a break from recording. Um, recording and working out. I, I worked out every... I worked out every day except for like... The past two Saturdays as well. So that's also consuming a lot of time. But hey man, no pain, no gain for real. But you know your boy getting swole. Give me about six months. Hey, call me Jacked. Jacked the Ripper. That'd be cool. Put that on the shirt. But I digress from my main point. Uh, so Friday, I found myself with absolutely nothing to do. Got off work. My wife was at home. I spent time with my dog. And I said, you know what? Uh, I kind of want to get out. And then I remembered that Killers of the Flower Moon was releasing this previous Friday. I want to say that will be dated as the 20th of October. Yeah, the 20th of October, the movie was released in... Guys, uh, the easiest way to say is that this was a very, it was a very good movie. Uh, some people are calling it the movie of the year. I actually have a hard time disagreeing with them so far. Uh, I kind of don't think there is too much competition left. I know Oppenheimer, Barbie, I know the Marvels is coming out. Dune got pushed back. We got, uh. Godzilla, what was it minus one? No, it was Godzilla Zero. What was the name of the movie? 
Yeah, Godzilla Zero Minus One, which some of the early stuff has come out, and people are calling this thing, they're calling Godzilla Minus One a goddamn masterpiece. From what I've been reading, a couple, couple here and there things. Uh, that's what I'm seeing so far, because some of the news has started trickling out today. I forget what site I was on. Maybe it was on social media. But some of the news has been trickling out, and the it has been quite positive about Godzilla minus one. Uh, but then you know, Dune's not coming out because of the writers' strike or the is it Saga Screen Actors Guild something other like that? Uh, because the strike's going on, so Dune got pushed back because I believe most of the people can't even participate in the marketing blitz uh, due to the strike as well. So Dune's not coming out to sometime next year. What a shocker! Dune's been pushed back again. Uh, but then that leaves us with Killers of the Flower Moon and some other movies I'm probably clearly forgetting. But uh, off top, guys, I would say that this was a very, 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 very good movie. Very good movie. There's a couple of things before I start to get kind of get into the plot and prefix here. Uh, prefix here uh, is that this movie is uh, quite long and. Before I actually get into the plot of the movie and all that stuff and the acting, that's the first hurdle a lot of us are going to have to overcome. See, I went to go watch this movie at 10.30 p.m., right? Uh, so I got there right at 10.30. You know, they were running trailers and all that stuff like that. So the movie didn't really get started till around about like 11. So I didn't get out of the theater till about 2.30. Yeah, so that's... Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. That's the first hurdle you have to overcome before you watch this movie. So automatically that means that this movie is not going to be for everyone. I know that the movie length isn't as big of a deal as it used to be back in the day. Because, you know, a lot of fans would scoff at a movie being that long. Uh, but that's still a sentiment to this day. That's still a thing, right? That's still a thing that happens. But the movie is, the movie is three and a half hours long. And initially, I kind of said, wow, I made a mistake because I, I went too late to watch that movie. You know, you don't want to watch a three and a half hour movie at uh, 10.30 at night. Or excuse me, the start time, that, excuse me, the actual start time was at 11. So when it got to be about 11.45, I said to myself, I wonder if I'm going to pay attention the whole time because Guys, I'm old, right? I'm in like my mid thirties. I go to bed at roughly, roughly nine forty five every night. Nine forty five is roughly the time I lay down. Ten fifteen to ten thirty is roughly the time that I'm in like the deepest part of my sleep, and uh, I don't wake up till like six fifteen the next morning. So I can say without a shadow of a doubt that this movie was well past my bedtime. And I said, "Wow, I wonder how long I'm gonna be able to hang. Like, how, am I, how long am I gonna be able to like just." stick with this movie and i was actually able to stick with it the entire time it is literally gripping from beginning to end like it is gripping at parts the movie is very very slow but at parts the movie is very very frantic um one thing that i would say off top is that <clears throat> It's a very sad love story. A lot of people can watch this movie and get very different things from it. Um, 
because it's so long of a movie that there's so many points. Uh, in my opinion, it's a very sad love story. Other opinions, you can look at it as a just a murder, like just a murder massacre. Some people can look at it as like the underbelly of racism in America, like what racism will actually do, like what America is actually founded upon. You can pull that way from it. You can also pull away that this is probably one of the greatest portrayals ever put on screen. Like one of the greatest et tu brutes, even you scenarios put on screen. Right. The betrayal in this movie uh, is just insane. But I looked at it as a very, 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 a very, very sad love story. Uh, but the movie was di- directed by Martin Scorsese. So we, a lot of us know who Martin Scorsese is. He has done a ton of movies. Uh, he's done a ton of movies. He was responsible for some of like the most popular movies that have ever really come out in American cinema. Uh, if you really stop to think about it, I mean, some of my favorite Martin Scorsese movies are like The Goodfellas. He did that. He did Taxi Driver. Uh, he did The Departed as well. Leonardo DiCaprio was in that. But I, hold on, did he direct The Departed? He didn't direct The Departed. Did he direct it? He did direct The Departed, which I think I've talked either. I know uh, me and Ed talked about The Departed before. I'm not sure if I, if we ever posted that. But The Departed is actually one of my favorite movies. It's actually a complete uh, ripoff. Well, not a ripoff. Not a ripoff. Not a ripoff. But it's actually a. yeah, screw it. It's a ripoff. It's uh, this Korean movie that came out, I think, about three to four years before The Departed came out. Uh, but The Departed's still really good. You know, it's uh, Mark Wahlberg, Matt Damon, Martin Sheen, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson is in there, yada, yada. Uh, so a very, 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 very big cast. Very, very big cast. And then in this movie, we have Leonardo DiCaprio. We know who he is. There's two things this guy can do. Date women half his age and also act. He's good at both of those. You have Robert De Niro. Uh, Robert De Niro is probably one of the most known actors uh, in American cinema, at least during my lifetime. At least even before, even before my lifetime. Uh, Once again, we just talked about it. Uh, Robert De Niro is what? Taxi driver, good fellas. Uh, heat, he was in the heat. Uh, heat was really good. Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a bunch of them now. I'm just having a hard time remember because his catalog is just extensive. Uh, he was in like the what the House of Gucci. What was the other movie that I'm trying to remember? Uh, it's like an action movie. Row. Was it action movie? Ronin. That's what I want to say. Ronan and, and just a bunch of other stuff. So we know who Robert De Niro is. And then we also have Lily Gladstone. Which. My God. Uh, Lily Gladstone. I, you know, I can't think of anything that she's been in before I've watched this movie. I can't think of anything that I've seen her in before I watched this movie. But she comes off as just the most authentic darling 
the most authentic. It's like, yo, when you when you watch this movie and you get to know Lily and you start to see what happens to Lily, like your heart absolutely breaks in pieces for her. Or her character, excuse me. Which breaks in pieces for her. But Lily Glaston, uh, she stars in this movie as well. And then a host of other people. Uh, you get, uh, I hate to, this is still considered a spoiler. So I won't tell you when they show up, but you have John Lithgow's in here. Brendan Fraser's in here as well. And a host of other people that you may know that kind of just pop up out of nowhere. Like, oh, you know, I was like, oh, shit, that's Brendan Fraser. I'm like, oh, man, that's John Lithgow. Like, I love those guys. You know, so the movie, the movie's action packed. <clears throat> uh, one thing I didn't know is that this movie is also produced by Apple Studios. Did not know that. That was new to me. Did not know this was produced by Apple Studios. Uh, so that was quite a shock for me. Quite a shock. And then I was also shocked again when I saw that they're actually producing, uh, not producing, that they are actually doing the Napoleon movie. Well, they showed the trailers for Napoleon, and my God, that is, that is a guaranteed watch for me. As you know what, I don't know what it is about 2023, but this is the year for historical stuff for me because I love Oppenheimer, I love uh, Killers of a Flower Moon, which are based off a true, which based off a true story, but also based off a book. And then we have Napoleon, which a lot of us had to deal with that in high school. A lot of us had to learn and read about Napoleon. But let's get into the plot here. So the, and I pulled the plot from Wikipedia because, you know what, let's find another one. Fly away. Oh, I take it back. You know what else I've been doing this week? I have actually played uh not the dust off my Steam Deck and I have been playing uh Hatsune Miku Project Diva Mega Mix, which is really good. Alright, let's just do this. Okay. So so here's the plot here. This is pulled straight from Wikipedia. The Osage Elders summarily Bury a ceremonial pipe. That's how the movie starts off. Uh, the Osage elders are in this tent. I believe I'm saying it the correct way. I don't know the correct term as far as for their people. So forgive me if I'm saying that wrong. But they are burying a pipe in a ceremonial manner. And this is a way of mourning because they are mourning their way of life. They talk about like how they lost their land, like how they are where they are now and how they're Children will just not know their ways. They are being faced with a cultural extinction. They are being faced with a cultural extinction, which, you know, let's just, this should be real about it, man. Let's be real about it. We know what happened to the Native Americans. We know what happened to them. Uh, I could write a you know a book about it. I could, there's been a thousand books about it. So we we know what happened to them. And what I should have done was I should have researched that before I just how I did the uh, 
the bombing over uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki for the last episode I've done for the podcast or the two episodes of what I did for the podcast, but I didn't, forgive me. But we know what happened to them, and they have faced... They have faced all types of brutality, you know, during that time period. They faced all types of brutalities. It's well documented, you know, the the smallpox blankets, you know, them being run off their lands for the railroads, uh, just their utter distinct uh, extinction for the most part, like, you know, what's happening to them. So, you know, the America or the Americans, for that matter, have not were not kind to them during that time. So they were just mourning that. They were mourning the loss of everything. Uh, but, okay, so let's keep going. Uh, so Osage elders somberly bury a ceremonial pipe, mourning the assimilation of their descendants into white American society. Wandering through the badlands of their Oklahoma reservation, several Osage find oil gushing from the ground. The tribe becomes fabulously wealthy after the exploration, me, the exploitation of oil on their lands, but the reservation laws require white guardians to manage their money. So basically what happens as they're going through their mourning period, they... Strike it rich. It's a big thing. If you found oil, even to this day, if you find oil on your land, you become fabulously rich because oil is super goddamn important. I mean, I had to put forty dollars in gas today in my car, so oil was super important. So it was even more important back then. Uh, hell, it's probably the same level of importance back then as it was now. But they became instantly rich, and they became the richest people per capita. Just for the amount of oil that is on their reservations. So in 1918, Ernest Burkhart returns from World War I to his rancher, Uncle William King Hill. So Ernest Burkhart is played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And Leonardo DiCaprio, as he does with every other character that he's tasked with being, is that he brings Ernest to life in Ernest is just a goddamn sleazeball. You don't really see it at first. And you know what, maybe you don't really see it at first. And that's a good thing about this movie. The first, I would say, 45 minutes about this movie is just a complete love story. It is a complete love story. Now, there are some things going on under the scenes, but it's a complete love story. But I've got no track again. So in 1918, Ernest Burkhart returns from World War I to his rancher uncle, William King Hale. They call him King. King is played by Robert De Niro, who lives with Ernest Brothers Byron on the reservation. Hale poses as a friendly benefactor of the Osage people, speaking their language and bestowing gifts upon them. But he secretly schemes to murder them and steal their wealth. To facilitate his plan, he tells Ernest, who works as a cab driver, to pay special attention to Molly Kale. Molly Kale is played by Lily Gladstone. Gladstone, Gladstone, Gladstone. I'm saying Gladstone. An Osage whose family owns much of the oil head rights. Now, the head rights are, how can I basically say it? It's their, it's like their claim to their, it's their claim to their wealth. <clears throat> it's, it's the claim to their wealth. It's, it's, think of this like the deed to their wealth. I think it might be the easiest way to break it down. A romance eventually develops between the two, and they are married in a ceremony that mixes Catholic and Osage religious are pretty much the Catholic and Osage religion. Better way to say it. Okay. So, like I said, the first 45 minutes of the movie are considered a love story, in my opinion. And it's, and it's done very well because 
Leonardo the way the way Ernest Leonardo DiCaprio and Molly, who's played by Lily, interact with each other is very, very sweet. Is very sweet. It's very sweet. Uh, so how can I describe this scene here? So when Leonardo comes back from the war, uh, at the, so he comes back from the war, he actually talks to King. He talks to King, he talks to Robert De Niro. And then as you segue, you find them actually back in town. But in town, everything's like bustling, everything's going on, you know, and you see a lot of Osage. And they do a, they do a great thing in this movie by depicting the overall wealth of the Osage here. They're in shops, they're in banks, they're buying cars. There's actually scenes in the movie where Leonardo DiCaprio has like seven different cars like that he just completely owns, right? Because they just have so much wealth. They have absolutely so much wealth that they don't know what to do with it. These people are just living on a reservation, scraping by. You know, the plot says, or the synapses here says that they lived on bad lands. So if anybody has any concept of that, bad lands, you can't really grow crops. It's not really fertile, hard to build on it. It just sucks. It's bad land. It's exactly what it sounds like. So they go from scratching, struggling, and surviving to being the wealthiest people per capita the wealthiest people per capita and they live a very very extravagant lifestyle what would you do if you found yourself with let's just say for instance you woke up this you know tomorrow morning and you had 15 million dollars in your bank account you had 25 million dollars in your bank account and you come from a dirt poor ass neighborhood. Matter of fact, you come from the Cab Street on <laughs> You come from like the Cab Street in Camden, you know, back when the Cab well the Cab Street's better now. Actually, cause uh Well hell, they're building houses everywhere down here. But you come from that just a poor area, right? You poor area, you just find yourself with like a lot of money. Like, damn, you gonna blow it, man. You gonna blow it, you gonna spend all this cash. But the thing about having a lot of cash is that you make yourself a target. And just like the plot says, the Osage became a target. Because Robert De Niro or King sits Ernest down, sits him down and says, hey, Ernest, you like women? Ernest's like, yeah, I like women. You know, what color you like women? I'm like white, I like this, I like that, I like that, I like that. He's like, you like red? He's like, yeah, I like red women. He's like, I don't really have a preference. Boom. We have all these. So now one thing they also touch in the movie as well is that a lot of these women, a lot of the Osage are women. A lot of the Osage are women who are looking, who, you know, during that time page, time, uh, during that time, or even to this day, marriage was very, very important. So you have a lot of women with a lot of money <clears throat> that are looking to get married. And so King is like, why would you marry another old sage? Well, we got all these other guys that I'm connected to, all these other people that I'm connected to that you can marry. And that's a part of like the big overall scheme. Is that, hey, I want you to marry in, you know, you have an old sage woman marry a white man. 
Something happens to the Osage woman, the white man gets the hair rise. Boom, instant wealth. Look at that. Instant wealth. You know, it's a transfer of wealth, right? You know, if my wife had like a gajillion dollars, you know, we've been married and, you know, something happens to her. Boom, boom, boom. I get the money or vice versa. I got a gajillion dollars. Something happens to me. Boom, she gets the money. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. And as, no, once again, I want to say that Leonardo and uh, Lily's relationship in the movie is very, 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 it's very, very sweet. It's very nice. You know, if <laughs> if you take the bad stuff out of this movie, like the subterfuge, the murder, the, the espionage in a way, like if you left that part just in the movie itself, I think the movie would be perfect because they're just so sweet on each other so early. Uh, there's one point where King tells him, hey, man, read this book. I want you to learn about the Osage. And Leonardo or Ernest actually learns about the Osage. He learns that language. He learns some of their customs because even though King tells him to get close to Molly for the money, he doesn't really get close to her for the money. He gets close to her because he likes her. Now, the money ain't, you know, money ain't bad. He even says that off top. The money ain't bad, but they grow, close, grow very close. At first, it's just... Him being a simple cab driver. He drives her here. He drives her there. But then one day, Molly's like, yo, you want to come in the house? We all know how that goes. You know? Hey, let me fix you something to eat. You all know how that goes. Now, see, I'm a country boy. And <laughs> so I'm a country boy. You fight me in your house. You feed me. And I'm courting you. I'm talking to you. Hey, we here now. That's what happened with me and my wife. She fed me one time. I'm like a cat. Maybe one time, just like a cat. I ain't never left. Still here. <laughs> but like I said, this story is very nice. But and that's another great thing about this movie. This movie has stories layered on top of stories, just layered on top of stories. And you see what's on the surface, but the movie does a very slight of hand of showing you what's underneath. So <clears throat> now this is a very slight of hand. Uh, but there's portions in the movie, I would say, after we get about roughly 45 minutes in, where they segue to deaths. Right? You have several Osage. They're dead on the floor. Foamy at the mouth. Dead in their beds. They got gunshot wounds beaten up, killed. There's one scene where a lady is taking her child out to put in a stroller and walk down the street. She's taking her child out and a dude reaches out from behind the window. Because the window reaches out, and I'm assuming it's a hunter, reaches from out by the window and shoots her in the back. Kills her. Shoots in the back, kills her. And these murders are rampant. You know, they start saying... Hey, this this person died. Hey, this person died. Hey, this person died. And I think once you get to the end of the movie, it's like a totality of like 40-something people that died. That just killed and there were just murders that were uninvestigated. Because even those people that died, these they were, they were ruled murders, but they were never investigated. The reason why they never investigated because it goes back to King. Now... <clears throat> It's not very, very hard for you to see what's going on once you realize that King is the bad guy in the movie. 
Everybody goes to King. He controls the doctors. He controls the lawyers, the lawmen. Everything goes through King. Uh, so where was I at on the... Okay, so let's go back to the plot a little bit. Hell tells her King... King tells Ernest that he will inherit a greater share of the head rights as, Mo, as more of Molly's family dies. He has already ordered the deaths of several wealthy Osage and continues by killing Molly. Let me not say that part. So as far as the story goes, I'll actually leave it right there. I'm going to say this part one more time. I'm going to leave it right there. Well, I'm going to reveal one more thing too. Hale tells Ernest that he will inherit a greater share of the head rights as more of Molly's family dies. He has already ordered the deaths of several wealthy Osage. So, one way Okay, so let's go back to this, right? Because once again, I know it's four hours. I know it's a four-hour movie, but I kind of want to stop right here at the plot, right? Because if I once I start to reveal more, it's gonna kind of ruin the movie. So I don't want to spoil anything. So I'll kind of keep it really brief. But the one thing that you'll see super early on is that Molly is sick. That's one thing you'll see. One thing you'll see very early on in the movie is that Molly is sick. Not only is Molly sick, Molly has a sick sister. And there's several, several sick Osage. And they're sick because of diabetes. But I forget the exact year the movie shot in. I want to say it's 19. Okay, so the movie starts in 1912. No, excuse me, 1918. 1918, like right after the war. So the movie starts in 1918. So I'm not completely sure when insulin was 100% created, but insulin plays a very, 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 very big portion, a very big part of what happens to Molly and a lot of the Osage. And let's just say, not for their lack of it. Because they're rich. They can afford anything. They can afford anything. And that's where the plot gets its thickest. Now, I'll leave that there. I'll leave that there as far as plot. Because I really want people to see this movie. Uh, but what can we say here? <clears throat> as far as acting goes, acting is done phenomenally well. I mentioned this and I'll mention it again. Uh, Lily is actually, in my opinion, the star of the movie. Lily is the star of the movie. I know Leonardo's here and I like him and he does a really, really good job. But as far as... Hmm, no, let's not say that. Lily is the guiding star of the movie. I kind of want to see what happens to Lily. I want to see Lily survive. I want to see Lily do great. I want to see Lily be okay. I want to see her do okay. I want things to happen to her because the things that happen to her throughout the entirety of this movie are absolutely despicable. 
absolutely despicable. The things that happen to her and her family are absolutely despicable. But you want to see her be triumphant. And there are parts of this movie where you absolutely think to yourself, man, Lily's not going to make it. And I mean, Martin, okay, so, and Martin Scorsese just does a wonderful job because unless you read the books before this, because it is based off a book, unless you know the story, because there is a story based off this, you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. You don't know. Like, it's a three and a half hour movie, and I was hooked from beginning to end. Like, it's, like I said, it's 2.30 at night. I'm like, what the hell is happening? Like, I don't know what the end is going to be, right? I don't know what's going to happen. But Lily is, Lily is very elegant, and in my opinion, the bright spot of the movie, or the brightest spot of the movie. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, once again, can act his ass off. The dude has just got it. When he passes away, we got to talk about him. No, before he passes away, we got to talk about this dude being one of the greatest. I don't know. Let's just throw a top 15 out there. We got to put him somewhere in the top 15 greatest actors of all time. We just have to because this dude gets a character and you can't imagine another person being that character but him. He has done it in almost every movie that he's been in. Like, I can't imagine another person in my mind being earnest. I simply cannot. I simply cannot imagine another person being Ernest Burkhart but Leonardo DiCaprio. But Leonardo's character, Ernest, is... How can I describe him? He's a con man. He's a con man. He's a con man that you like, but he's still a con man. He's still a con man because he makes you believe that he cares about Lily. He really does. Or Molly. Molly's her. I keep transposing or mixing up the two. But Ernest makes you really think he cares about Molly and you don't know. You honestly don't know if he cares about her or not. You honestly don't know. But then again, you can look at it as another way that he is a man who serves two masters. For one, he has his love for hell. I mean, he listened to every word the hell said, or King, which they call him King all the time in the movie. Like they call him uh him, his brother, just by everybody else calls him King like nonstop. He's torn between him and his love for Molly. Or his supposed love. Cause I, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know. I don't know if he loves Molly. I felt like he did. I really did. I felt like he loved Molly through the entire movie, but when she get towards the back half of it. You kind of like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I really don't know. Robert De Niro is always great. King is just a despicable son of a bitch. He is a despicable, awful, evil 
son of a bitch. There's one part of the movie where <laughs> we have a dude who is who struggles with his mental illness. We have a gentleman who struggles with his mental illness. And there's been times where he's come very, very close to killing himself. Hell goes and puts a freaky life insurance policy on the guy and says, look, bro, you can't die for like another two years because <laughs> he's got to wait for the policy to like build up or something like that. And I'm like, wow, you don't care about this dude's well-being at all. You just want to cash in. And it's that's the whole part of the movie. He wants to cash in. Hell sees the opportunity to become wealthy behind his wildest his absolute wildest dreams by exploiting and murdering the Osage. And he does that. He does that. He is a sniveling, conniving bastard. Now, if one looks solely at the acting in this movie... Like just the pure acting of by the three main characters and also the supporting cast as around it, you have no choice but to give this movie, let's just say, an A rating for acting or an A plus. Because they draw a lot, they draw a lot out of each other. As I say all the time, you want your acting to feel very, very genuine. You want your acting to feel very, very true. And they do that. They pull it off well. Because how can they not? They have some of the most they have two of the greatest. When I say just top 15 by Leonardo, you gotta put Robert De Niro in there. We probably got two top 15 of all-time actors in one movie being directed by Martin Scorsese. It's simple math. You got, if you put it together, it should be good. It's simple math. Like, it's super hard to F up this equation. And then, once again, Lily Gladstone, who plays Molly, does an exceptionally well job. As far as the scenery goes in this, I, I haven't read up where this movie was shot, but as far as the scenery goes, uh, they really try to go true to life of that time period. I'm not too familiar with the style of Native Americans during that time. Uh, I just, I'm just not. So it's hard for me to, to tell the accuracy of it, right? Because I just don't know. But it felt very authentic. It felt very authentic. The reason why I say it's authentic, Martin Scorsese didn't go out there and get, you know... <sighs> How can I say it? He didn't go out there and get white and black actors and tell them, hey, just put some stuff on your face to make him look Native Americans. He went out and got actual Native Americans. He went out and got actual Native Americans and said, yo, bro, I need you guys to act these parts. Boom. Wonderful. Their style of dress was also, you know, it was a nice mix. I forget the proper terminology, but there was a term that I used to know that I can't remember that that stands for blending traditional style with wealth. I can't remember the proper term. I wish I knew it right now. But what happens when you deal with a lot of the Osage or the Osage that are around about uh, Molly's age in the movie is that they blend their traditional style with their wealth. And Molly notices that. She tells her sisters and other people that these, because they, they, they wear like these... So what I noticed in the movie that the men wear feathers and 
like these, uh, I don't want to call them chains, but they're like charms around their neck. And the women would wear like these blankets wrapped around them. And that's how they would walk through town. And to me, that felt very authentic. Very, very authentic. So the style of the movie was, was very on point for the time and also for the era. The plot's good. The movie is... Once again, there's, there's not many movies that I can sit here and tell you that I paid attention to I paid attention to the entire time that was two hours, excuse me, three hours and 30 minutes long. I simply cannot say that too often, but I can say that about this movie. This movie was gripping from beginning to end. From beginning to end. And it didn't hold back on the brutality. Sage or a lot of people in this movie were killing, excuse me, uh, Hell or a lot of people in this movie were killing the Osage by any absolute means necessary. And when I say, when I say any means necessary, like there was no end to the subterfuge. There was no end to the plots. There were so many plots on top of plots on top of plots that... When it came to a head, you didn't know what they were going to deal with because they they had their hands in so much shit. You didn't know you didn't know what was going to bring them down. You didn't know what was going to bring them down because they were dealing with so much stuff. But overall, overall, if I would give this movie a rating, if I were to give this movie a rating, I would give this movie a, we'll go with a nine and a half out of 10. We'll go with a nine and a half out of ten. If I was to give this movie a rating right here, right now, I would simply go with a nine and a half out of ten. The reason why I would go a nine and a half out of ten is because the acting was phenomenal. The scenery was great. Was the acting was phenomenal? The scenery was great. The plot was exceptional. The only reason why I go a nine and a half is because I think that. Okay, so I think Martin Scorsese thought that he had a hit here. Right? I think Martin Scorsese thought, all right, I got a hit. I got a hit. This story is just going to be great. I got people who can act their ass off, and we're just going to run this some bitch as long as we're going to run it. I got a hit on my hands. I got a masterpiece on my hands. And damn it, the world's going to see it in its entirety for what I want to see it for. Show it for, excuse me. And towards the back half of the movie, now, this may seem hypocritical, but towards the back half of the movie, it got a little long in the damn tooth. It got a little long in the tooth. Because there's one part of the movie where they actually go see President Coolidge. And this was probably... 
Lily's most triumphant scene. Her most powerful scene, the scene that stands out to me most in the movie. And this scene, Lily is just, gosh, she's on a deathbed. She's on a, she's just on her deathbed. She's, she is just doing bad. She's, there's no other way for me to say it. She is just doing bad. And she says, I got to make this trip. I have to. My people are in danger. My people are suffering. My people are dying. I have to make this trip. And there was a lot of things going on why she shouldn't have made that trip. I mean, once again, not trying to reveal too much more on the plot here. Because once again, I want you guys to see this movie. But there's a lot of reason why she shouldn't have got on that damn train. But she got on that train. But it probably should have happened 25 to 30 minutes earlier. Probably should happen a touch earlier. That's all I had to say. But that's my only real gripe against the movie. Ah, <sighs> uh, should I give it a ten? No, I'm gonna stick with nine point five. I thought about. I said to myself before I start recording, it's nine point five. I slept on it. Says nine point five when I went to bed, and. I think that's what messed me up last time with the creator. I was so hyped about it. I was so hyped. I was like, man, this movie's so great. 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 And I didn't sleep on it properly. But I slept on this. I slept on it. I thought about it. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. What I think you guys are like about the movie is phenomenal acting and the gripping story. Now, what I don't think you'll like is the padded runtime because the movie could end a little bit earlier. The movie also has this very you know what some people will actually appreciate, and I actually appreciate Martin Scorsese for this because it seems like the stuff I see about him, the stuff I read about him is, you know, I think the best athletes in the world are, I think the best athletes in the world are students of the game. I believe the best athletes in the world know the history of the game. Like LeBron James, he just broke the scoring record. He just, uh, that was last year. He just passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. One of the best of all time. LeBron James is a student of the game. Michael Jordan was a student of the game. You know, there's stories about him actually talking to some of the greats and actually meeting Bill Russell and him calling Bill Russell, Bill Russell, Mr. Russell. That's reverence. You are a student of the game. That's respect. That's a student of the game right there. And that's even for us. When you see your grandfather, when you see your father, and you say, yes, sir, or no, sir, not out of fear of retaliation because you're much older now, but out of respect. Out of respect because you're student of the game. You are student of the game. You're student of the person who taught you. And you respect the game. And Martin Scorsese respects the game. At the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, Martin, it's almost like a true, it's almost like a true crime podcast. But Martin Scorsese is 
I don't know if you guys know how they used to do the radio shows back in the day, right? Let's go back to like the 1930s and stuff like that, how they used to do the sound effects. But Martin Scorsese was standing on stage and he was reading through this script and him and other people were actually reading through the script as well. And as they're going through it, they make the sound effects. A gun shoots off in the back to create a sound effect of a gun. You have the rumbles of the drum. You have people playing on the keyboard. You have people making various noises to simulate the effects. It creates immersion because that's how they used to do it back in the day. It creates immersion. It creates a feel. It pulls the audience in. And yo, I respect that. He paid homage to the game. He paid homage to what they did before he got here. As far as gripping audience, as far as bringing them in, as far as telling a story. He did that. So Martin Scorsese had my respect already. But now he has even more of it. Even as far as a filmmaker goes, much appreciated, bro. Much appreciated for what you did with this movie and also what you did during the epilogue. And if you guys sit down in this movie and you make it to the epilogue, if you, I, I believe that you will be satisfied with it. I believe that you'll look at that scene. It's about three minutes. Probably anywhere from, how long was that epilogue? I think it's like maybe nine minutes. Probably about a nine minute epilogue. Trust, you'll appreciate that. At least I think you will. But uh, guys, that's it for my review for Killers of the Flower Moon. Once again, the uh, I'm going to give it a nine out of five. I think it's a great, 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 great movie. I think you will enjoy it. Um, it's still in theaters right now, of course, because this is Sunday. I wonder how much money it made. Gross. Okay, it did $23 million. Did twenty three million, but I think it's going streaming soon. Yeah, but I think it's going streaming soon because it's produced by Apple, and I think it's also produced by Paramount. So it's gonna. I think I think it was Apple and Paramount. So it's probably gonna be hitting Paramount Plus here real soon. So if you guys don't want to go to the movie theaters and watch it, totally okay. It'll be streaming before you know it. But it's worth the watch. I mean, if you got time, um, say if you got Saturday, it's when it goes streaming, right? Say if you got Saturday, you ain't got nothing to do, bro, I encourage you to watch it. I, I really think that you'll enjoy it. I really think that you'll get into it, and I really think that you'll love the movie. Uh, but with that being said... Uh, we actually need to work out a movie schedule. I need to work out a movie schedule and just determine what I'm going to be reviewing beforehand instead of just kind of on the fly. Which on the fly is okay. You know, I think spontaneous is great. I am spontaneous from time to time. But I do think that I need to map out the next movie because... I want to say the movie thing, at least for me, for me, 
It's going to be different for everybody else. But for me, the movie scene is absolutely abysmal. Because Dune got pushed back. So with Dune being pushed back, I honestly don't care about anything aside for Godzilla. That is literally the only thing I care about right now is Godzilla. I can't think of any other movie I may want to go watch. I think there's some stuff coming out on Netflix, of course. Dude, I still got to watch Castlevania. God dang it. I still haven't watched Castlevania Nocturne. Like, bro, it's been three weeks. What am I doing? <sighs> well, I know what I'm doing. I guess I'll be reviewing. Uh, well, let me not say that because I still might not watch it. Because I got to study for Network, Network Plus. My plan is to actually take the exam in the first part of uh, 2024. So I can get my certificate and start making more freaking money. Or, you know, further my career. Because I, I like my job now. Everybody there is pretty cool. I do new stuff every day. I learn a lot every day. Um, and so I really would like to further my career. I think that's... Um, I think that's a nice goal to have. <laughs> I think that's a nice goal to have to want to be successful. Want to be successful in your craft. But yeah, uh, so I, I guess what I end up doing to stay on track here, I'll probably end up working on Nocturne. Uh, working on Nocturne, and then I got to see about Godzilla Minus One. That's supposed to release on December 1st in America, but I'm not sure if that's coming in theaters or if that's streaming. But I'll find out closer to launch, of course. But guys, that's it. Guys, that's it for this episode. Oh, you know, okay, cool thing. So, remember that, like, super long break I took, right? Like, two years? So, I actually didn't take a break. I was recording stuff, and I just wasn't uploading it. And I actually found something that I recorded that I actually really like. So, I'm going to be releasing one of my archives. Uh, that's going to start off a set of series uh, to coincide with the Yakuza series that I'm working on. Uh, I've done part one. Part two is almost done. Uh, this will be part one of something else, and you guys will know about it when it comes out. Uh, so it's a little teaser there, a little teaser. But that's it for this episode, guys. Um, I'll be clocking in. I'll probably post this. What's today? Sunday at 9. I'll probably post this first thing Monday morning. So, hey, you'll have this to kick off your week. Sounds great. But guys, thanks for tuning in. And when you get opportunity, go see Killers of the Flower Moon. Till we see you again.